Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, a place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. excited to have uh, Veronica Karras here, and uh, she is a senior financial advisor at CapTrust. Uh, really excited to have you here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Veronica? Sure. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Like Kenji said, I'm a senior financial advisor at CapTrust. I've been in the industry for about 12 years now. I have sort of a kick for estate complex uh, estate planning and multi-generational planning. So it's really fun to be here and talk and you know have the discussion we're going to have. I'm a fiduciary, so that's super important to know. Um, and CapTrust by background is the largest fiduciary in the country. So sort of affiliated with them, but a practice within a practice and it's absolutely amazing. Awesome. So we met you through a mutual friend who just had phenomenal things to say about you. And what we really wanted to have you here to talk about today is your expertise in passing down wealth efficiently. And the question I had posited to you um, that we're basing this episode on is, how do we pass down our wealth to our kids or to even something we want to donate to most tax efficiently? Yes, absolutely. So I want to kind of have a little disclaimer here and say, I'm not an attorney. Please don't take this as legal advice whatsoever. You want to go talk to a trust and a state attorney on everything you hear here. And uh, that's super important. I'm just a financial planner and certified, you know, I'm certified in it, but definitely not an attorney um, and not an accountant either, even though we're talking about taxes. So just keep that in mind. And yeah, so the question you asked, aside from passing down wealth tax efficiently, was actually how to pass down real estate tax. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I draw that distinction because there's so many different strategies out there, but for income producing assets like real estate, investment properties in your guys' case, there's, you know, one really specific one that we'll focus on today. So, you know, we had spoken about your general structure, um, and I'm sure you've talked about it on the show, where you have each of your properties in an LLC sort of an umbrella LLC that has all of the other LLCs in it. And then you've put that umbrella LLC into a revocable trust. So a revocable trust for everyone who's listening is basically like a personal account. It's you in the name of a trust. The major benefit of a revocable trust is that it avoids probate, which is super important when you own real estate, especially when you own real estate in different states, because then you'd have to probate the real estate in every single state. And you want to avoid that. So it's super important. But a revocable trust is still part of your estate. So you've done nothing to actually get the assets and transfer them out in any way. You own the properties. And revocable trust can be revoked. You can undo the whole thing and take it all back at any time. You can change it any which way you want. You can change parts of it. You can change trustees. You can charge all, you can change so much. And that's why it's called a revocable trust. You can revoke it. The other types of trusts are irrevocable trusts, which is really the exact opposite. So you, once it's on paper, in theory, you cannot change it. You can't undo it. There's always ways around that, of course. In legalese, you can decant and all of that. But for the purposes of this discussion and to, make, to really draw the line of separation, we'll say that an irrevocable trust cannot be changed. 
The other thing with an irrevocable trust is because you're making a gift, usually in that revocable trust, there's a transfer of assets that occurs and therefore there's an estate-related transfer that usually occurs in an irrevocable trust. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So for real estate specifically, and back to the question you asked me, one of the best types of trust that you can use when you own a lot of real estate and it's all income producing is called an intentionally defective grantor trust or an idget because they don't want to say that. <laughs> right. We're going to keep it simple. So IDGT, idget, it's really, really helpful in passing down wealth overall. And so the way that it works is you're going to create this intentionally defective grantor trust, or more accurately, your attorney is. They're going to write it down on paper for you. You can name it anything you want. So just the structure of an idget real quickly before we get into real estate is the reason that it's intentionally defective is that it has no bearing on your ongoing income taxes. So you owe all the taxes on that trust and you benefit you know, on, on anything in, that you gift to that trust it passes through to you. So in the case of real estate, all the income would come to you and all of the depreciation, which is always really important to real estate owners that they get to keep their depreciation, Mm -hmm. right? You wouldn't want to gift that part away, which is the difference between a regular grantor trust and an intentionally defective grantor trust. You owe the taxes. It's also a good way to get money out of your estate since theoretically you're paying taxes on it over time, right? So just keep that in mind. Now, what happens with an intentionally defective trust in real estate is you actually wouldn't gift it to the trust. You would sell it to the trust. And the easiest way to think about it is the same way you would sell it to anybody else. So if you guys had real estate and you wanted to give me a mortgage to buy that real estate from you, I would pay you payments on what we agreed upon. So if we agreed on a 30-year loan with principal and interest, At a 3.5% rate, that's what I would pay you. And you would still keep that real estate until it was paid off, right? You would have access to it. If if I defaulted, right, you you can claim default, so on and so forth. It works the same way with the trust. Theoretically, you're putting a lot of real estate in it. But one of the greatest benefits is you can do these sales over and over again. So you can take one property when you buy it or one LLC in your case. And you can just do the sale of that one property or one LLC into the intentionally defective grantor trust. And I'll get into a little bit of a quirk here that will help, especially during these times specifically, that I think everyone should know about. But basically, you can make a sale, you get a note back. So you can charge yourself any... You can arrange it with any kind of interest you want. You just have to meet the minimum IRS um, AFR rates at the time. Right now, they're really low. So I think for a middle term rate, it's like 1.3 or something like that these days. But they, they literally change once a week. So you just want to look that up when you do this for the minimum loan. And then anything above that, you can structure it any way you want. So you take a note back and you want to you know, kind of do a cash flow analysis on your life to see how much cash flow you actually need to get every single year from the trust. And the beneficiaries of the trust would theoretically be your kids at a future date after you die. So it's a, or a charity or whoever you want. You can, you know, the great, the other great thing about estate planning documents, for the most part, you make it up. You can literally write, you know, from the time that I pass, you know, $100,000 goes to this charity, $100,000 goes to this charity, and exactly this amount goes to my kids. And any way you want to do it, 
you can also keep it in trust. You know, you want to continue the benefit on for your kids so they can use intentionally that same intentionally defective grantor trust and actually have access to it since they won't be the grantors, right? The other way to do it for a couple is actually to split half and half, which properties you put into the trust. So each one of you would have an intentionally defective grantor trust, giving beneficiary access to the other spouse, right? There's a, like, a lot of ways you can structure this to be really, really flexible is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Then you take a note back and then you pay the interest. You, you know, the trust pays you the interest. And then after the agreed upon time, 15, 20, 30 years, the trust, you know, that asset is now out of your estate, paid off by the income that you took and transferred to the trust. So if you passed away, it's out of your estate completely. The benefit of doing it with real estate is twofold. The income and the, the income passes through on your tax returns, but all of the growth of the real estate actually transfers out of your estate. Remember, when you do a valuation today, you're going to discount that valuation because the trust is actually only getting that asset after the 15 or 20 or 30 years that you're, that it actually goes out of your estate. So, you can get a discounted valuation because it's a, it's a gift of future value. The other thing you can do just to make this even more fun and flexible is you can gift a minority share. So you can keep 51% of the property and do a sale for 49% of the property so that the appraisal takes a discount for a minority share, right? And again, you can do that further on again down the line. So you can do the 49, sell 49% now, and then five years from now, sell another 49%. And so what's left in your estate is the 2% of that property. And then, you know, at some point you sell the 2% and eventually get it out, right? So there's a lot of flexibility here, which is why it's so great. And it's also really great because at some point, if it makes no sense for you financially for that note to come back, you want all of the income from X number of properties, you would have the trust default on its loan. The other thing that's really great is you can always have the trust structured so it prepays the loan so you can take more money out, right? There's just so many ways you can do this. And I'm trying to give very general advice, but there's a lot of flexibility with estate planning. So it's definitely something to explore. And definitely something you want to coordinate with your other assets, right? So if you have a lot of income-producing assets on one end or fixed income-producing assets, you want growth assets on the other hand and things like that. So you just want everything to kind of fit together really well. So that was a lot. So yes. I just want to kind of talk through an example um, just yeah. to try to make sure we understand it and that you know the listeners can understand it. So let's say, we had, let's say we had $5 million in real estate, right? Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that we do this tax efficiently and, and we're not thinking we're going to die for, let's say, 40 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is we could take a portion or all of that and we could put it in an idget, right? Mm-hmm. And we would basically get appraisals of all our properties right now where, when we're kind of in a downturn. So the appraisals will be a little bit lower. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll put it in and it's got that value. And we can set terms of the loan where we now become the bank for all intents Mm -hmm. and purposes. We can set the terms of the loan however we want. So we could say, 
you know, I want, I want to have 10% interest a year and I want the principal to be paid out over, let's say, 45 years, right? Because we think we're going to die in 40, right? We could just set it whatever we wanted to make sure we got mm-hmm. money our whole life. And then we would just basically, you know, get this cash flow from that loan every single year. The properties are going to grow in value over time tax-free. And so when we die, those pass on to our kids or our charity of choice with all that growth that's been tax-free. In the meantime, we've been able to get cash flow every single year of our lives. And if we ever get to the point where we're like, oh my gosh, I have a hugely expensive year, I need more money than what I've been setting out, you could actually say, hey, let me have my IDGIT pay me an extra prepayment of, you know, let's say $100,000 because I need cash now. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah you, yeah, you nailed it. The other thing is, so if you have $5 million in properties, I'm just going to run this number, these numbers for you. Let's say you were doing a 40-year mortgage, right? That's what you're saying. You're, you're essentially mortgaging the fi- full value of the $5 million. You get a discount of about, it varies based on different appraisers and all that, but let's, you get about a 30% discount on the valuation of the properties just because it's a gift of a future value. And you decided to gift 49% of it and not the whole thing, you get another 30% discount for the minority share, approximately. Wow. Mm. Um, so it's a minority, sh- that's why I brought that up, it's a minority share. So your $5 million, the actual amount that you're transferring to the trust is significantly less based on the valuation discounts, right? And you still get to structure the note however you want. Just keep in mind that the higher you know, your interest payment, the higher the payments, the faster the loan gets paid off, right? Which is also why I mentioned you can kind of split dice here, especially when, there's a, when you're a couple and say, look, Kenji, I'm going to set up an intentionally defective grantor trust for Letty, you're the beneficiary. And if, I ever need, if we ever needed to tap that money, you're the beneficiary now of that trust, of, of that, and you could take it out whenever you want. And vice versa. You would just have to, if you're doing kind of what they're called reciprocal trusts, you have to stagger the years in which you do them. You can't create immediate reciprocal trusts. Got it. What about if you wanted to sell a property in your portfolio? I mean, let's say you put it in the IDGIT and then you want to sell it and 1031, you want to upgrade uh, to a, you know, a, more, a bigger property or more expensive property. How, yeah. how would you do that? The same way you would do it in real life. So you, one property would theoretically pay off the mortgage and there would be a new loan established, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's literally the way you're thinking of it. You're the bank for your own trust. Right, it's the simplest way to do it. You can also, if you're doing it in the 1031 exchange, you can keep it in the trust. The trust would actually buy the new property and continue to make you payments. I mean, either way, usually it's cleaner, especially when you're upgrading to do pay off one mortgage and remortgage the next one. It's probably what you'd want to do anyway to extend the life payments. Right, and it would also be what we'd want to do because we would want to put it in only 49%, right, to get that discount. Because that discount seems super valuable. Just thinking, yes, that's it. Especially on the estate plan. The other thing that makes the discount super valuable and why there's never been a better time in history to do this than now, other than if you bought properties like really cheap in the 70s and 80s, but for the most part, there's never been a better time uh, to do it is. Under the 2018 tax law, the estate tax exemption, which is $11.8 million per person right now, 
is set to sunset at the end of 2025. So we can roll into 2026 at half that exemption value per person. So if you get a discount on the valuation of the property, you can actually forgive the balance of the loan at the end of 2025 for the trust. It it would be a gift. Whatever that balance was left would be a gift. You'd actually use up the, you know, the increased exemption, but you might as well because you'd be losing it theoretically anyway. Congress might pass a law to change this, but from what we know now, you might lose that, you know, uh, five and a half million dollars anyway. So you might as well um, use it and use the gift, forgive the loan, and then theoretically, you would still own 51% of the property. So you'd still be getting that income and whatnot. And you will have just basically transferred out, you know, a good portion of your properties or of your LLC at a major, major discount. Because you're talking about, you know, you got appraisal discounts, it'd be based on the value that you gifted it on. So it's whatever is left of the loan that you would be forgiving and gifting. What's that going down to from 11.8 million? Do you know? It's, it's scheduled um, at five and a half million dollars inflated from 2018. So my guess it'll be about six million or 6.1 per person, but it can always go lower, right? So that's one of those interesting things that taxes have made planning a little bit challenging because even though these laws are set to sunset in uh, 2025, there's nothing that says a new president can't come in sooner and change it right before that. And, you know, um, people forget, but it's only in 2012, the estate exemption was a million dollars per person. And it's different in every state. And it's not like it's that long ago. It can go down to anything. So I would say if these laws continue the way they are, and, you know, in 2025, it does actually sunset, you'll want to do as much estate planning in that year as you possibly can. And if you do the intentionally defective grantor trust now, it's just a no-brainer kind of to forgive whatever you've already put in that trust and got the discounts on to forgive those loans, get it out of your estate completely. But again, when you're structuring this with your attorney, you'll want to make it super flexible, right? So you're not allowed to have access because then it's not really a gift and it's not really... Like if you have access... That really out of your estate. But if you do these sort of reciprocal trusts, not really reciprocal, um, they have to have slightly different language, but for the most part can be similar. Then you can actually take full advantage of, you know, having access and split the dice. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. Now I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semi-retiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Also wanted to give a shout out to Joe Weitzel of Northwest Commercial Lending for being a sponsor of the show. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to get a loan for a commercial property for less than a million dollars, good luck. Most commercial loan brokers don't deal in small loans. And this is where Joe and his team shine. They help investors find a commercial loan no matter the size. 
and they actually love working with new investors and helping them grow their portfolios. So the next time you're in the market for a commercial loan, be sure to reach out to Joe and his team by emailing them at semiretiredmd at nwclending.com. Now back to the show. How do you uh, how do you set one of these up? Call your attorney. <laughs> a really, really good, experienced trust and attorney, uh, trust and estates attorney. You're welcome to call me. We know uh, we know a lot of them across different states for nationwide companies. So I'm happy to make referrals to really good ones. You know, you just you want to be really careful. Make sure you're using a specific trust and estates attorney because the laws are going to be different in every single state. And you want to make sure that all the language is exactly what it's supposed to be. So I love, for instance, I love my real estate attorney and I love my business attorney, but I do not have them do my trust and estates work. So make sure you, I would say make sure you use the trust and estates. And it sounds like you kind of need your CPA aligned too, or do you just take these documents to your CPA and they're going to be familiar with it? They should be familiar with it. I would say in general, you want to have this be a conversation with your financial planner who should be able to actually tell you and run projections on how mu- what that mortgage should look like because they know the most about your financial life, who should be able to coordinate with your attorney how much and what properties are best to actually do the sales and when. And then that'll get co- coordinated with the accountant because they need to know um, that the income is kind of flowing through an additional entity. Yep, that makes sense. It's almost like a you basically you're the primary care doc, the financial advisor is. They're coordinating all the specialists to make sure they're doing the right things, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I always like to think of myself as the quarterback for my clients' lives, right? So it's like everything is kind of going on and I'm just making sure they get to the goal <laughs> no matter what. That's really I, I think and if you use your financial planner in that way, hopefully they're familiar with all with all of this that it's, it's a home run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing when you were initially telling me about this, I was thinking, well, you know, if with the interest and I thought the interest was set at like 1.5%, I didn't realize you could set it at anything. I was thinking, well, we got to build up our portfolio to be bigger and bigger so we can still support, let's say, you know, get a lot of cash flow if we need it. But it sounds like you could actually even do this if you had, let's say 500,000 or a million dollars worth of property, because you know, over time, this is going to make such a big difference in your your wealth. And you know, you're going to grow your wealth, you know, you're going to be much wealthier when you're older, and you have all this extra property that's gained value. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think you can do it early on, especially as you get started and do those sales. I would say in general, you want your net worth because you need a certain amount of liquidity in your portfolio in general for things that may go wrong in real estate. As much as I love real estate, right? We all, everyone experiences some hiccups. And, you know, you don't want to be constantly doing legal documents and undoing legal documents, all of that. I would say typically, and I'm in New York, by the way, so this will vary based on what you know, assets are kind of worth on a day-to-day basis across the country. But I typically see clients with at least three to six million in that range start really thinking about estate planning. Partially because in New York, the estate exemption is still five and a half million dollars per person on the states. Even though the federal exemption is way higher, we haven't matched it. So when you're close to those levels or getting there overall, it, you always want to start, you know, kind of 
like I said, the earlier you do it, the better because you get the valuation, you get the growth out so much sooner. And the the lower the value is that you can get appraised at, the better it is in the long run. So if you wait 10 years to do this, now you're the property or whatever it is that you're gifting has 10 years of growth that you, yes, it'll be discounted, but who knows what 10 years of growth looks like. 10 years ago, I would have bought, you know, in, in New York, I would have gladly bought an apartment in like Bed-Stuy or, and watched it grow um, in value, you know? So you want to do this, you know, the sooner the better. Yep. Awesome. So then one mm-hmm. thing we also talked about was what do you do with your primary residence? You know, is there some way to pass your primary residence down to your kids? Yeah, so I would say you guys are too young to do it, but there's we don't a have a primary residence yeah. anyway. <laughs> but let's say we bought a vacation home. Like what would you Yeah, do? so there's a couple of ways to do it. There's other things you could do with rent with property that you're in. If you're really at the point where you're trying to do um estate planning, you would actually set up a trust where in a certain amount of time the 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 house would actually transfer to your kids and you would start paying them rent. I don't know if you guys specifically are there yet or if your kids are there yet. Usually people do it when their kids are a little bit more grown up. I'll say that. And the property would transfer to to your children. Honestly, most of the time, we just see people put in their revocable trust because it's your primary... You're living in it. You're using it, right? It's a little bit different. It's not generating income. It's an expense. Everyone who's a homeowner will tell you your primary residence is an expense, I think. So even if it appreciates in value, I think the, be- the best thing to do is put it in, a, in just a regular revocable trust. That's the other, you know, the, there are so many different variations. Like you can, you can set up your entire estate as a family limited partnership and maintain, you know, a 2% interest and give the 98% to your kids and all these things. And you can get so lost in the weeds that usually it's best to like, Pick one, the cheapest one, tax-wise anyway, that uses the least of your estate tax exemption and like run with it, right? Because, you know, the other other side of the coin is how complicated do you want to make it the estate for your kids, right? The more trusts you set up and the more you kind of make everything harder to access, the worse it is for them in practice. You want to make it as simple as possible. I mean, the great thing about an idget is it's actually pretty simple. You're just, you're mortgaging. You know, you're issuing a mortgage to a trust. The assets are just passing there and you get the cash flow. And then your kids will inherit the properties. Like it's, from that perspective, it's pretty simple. Then you can keep it in trust for your kids forever and they'll just, you know, get income and principal and whatever it is, however you want to write it. It doesn't actually have to transfer to them outright, which is another benefit. You're giving asset protection to your kids, which they can't give to themselves. So just just keep all of that in mind. Is you know there are so many diff- you can you can stack trust on trust on trust forever. And there are some attorneys that would have you do that. <laughs> if we're kind of in a growth phase with our real estate and we're planning to you know buy and sell, uh, you know maybe every couple of years, like so our current portfolio could completely turn over in the next two three years. So like if we're in that kind of growth phase, is it kind of still worth doing everything, putting everything into an IGIT and setting up these structures? I would still do an IGIT, but I would always do it with a minority share. So I would do the minority share for sure for you guys. And that way, when you every time you sell a property, the, the smaller portion can either stay in the trust as you're upgrading and sort of automatically get paid or... You can just, you know, I'm assuming you're 1031 exchanging your property. Mm-hmm. If you are, 
um, then you could do this 1031 exchange within the trust. That's super simple too. So just, you know, because just keep in mind, based on the way you're structured, you're not moving properties in and out of, of the trust. You're moving them in and out of the LLC. So when something changes on the LLC level, what you, you've already gifted the LLC. Your note will continue on whatever the original property was. You can swap it for a new note based on the new appraised value of the LLC if you needed more income or wanted it. But technically, that original note still stands. You just own a more expensive property. I see. So this is like you were saying that you're getting the benefit of all the appreciation within that trust and you're not, I mean, that's like, that's one of the benefits sounds like is that you're, you're able to pass, pass along to your heirs that appreciation. Uh, tax-free. Tax-free. For or tax, yeah. most tax, tax efficiently. Yes. Yes. Most tax efficiently. Yeah. It, it's totally, you know, we, we say legitimate, but it is. I mean, you're making a sale, you're selling it to this entity that's paying you money to, to buy it from you, right? It's the same way like how I was saying, you would sell it to me or I would sell property to you. There's, a, there's no difference. It's just weird when you're not, when you become the bank. But otherwise, yeah, 100%. It, the sooner you do it, the better. And I think especially if you're in this growth phase where you're you know, sort of flipping <laughs> and flipping up as you go, it's a, good, it's a great time to do it. I mean, you're just taking lower values and selling them into an entity and getting them out of your estate. Remember, in your case, it's the LLC. It's the valuation of the LLC. So that portion of the LLC, that value will just be out of your estate. Right. And you can continue, like Kenji has real estate professional tax status, right? So we are able to take all of our depreciation and shelter all of our active income. And it sounds like that doesn't change at all. We can continue to do that. We continue to pay, you know, little to no income tax and then yeah, just keep, you know, our properties in this idget. Yeah, cool. yeah. And that's exactly what makes it intentionally defective for tax purposes. Like everything will flow exactly the same for tax purposes for you guys. Like it's as if it doesn't exist while you guys are alive. It's really the, for tax purposes. After you pass, then it changes because the income actually stays in the trust and the trust would distribute income to your children. Awesome. Okay. Well, maybe we should transition a little bit. And um, one thing I wanted to know from you, I mean, you have so much real estate experience. Like, It seems like a lot of financial advisors don't. So, mm-hmm. so how do you find somebody who has the real estate experience when you're searching for a financial advisor? And how did you get into this? So I actually personally got, got into this thanks to my boss. The way my, my initial company, way before we merged in with Captos, was started by David Schwartz, who's excellent. He started investing in real estate in Harlem and he would gather a bunch of partners together back in the early 80s when real estate in Harlem was, was cheap. And, you know, let's say a building was $100,000, he'd find 10 people, $10,000 each, and he would set up, you know, these partnerships. And then over time, those people started looking for him for actual financial advice. So, okay, you made me all this money. What do I do with it now? And that's how he started a financial planning business. So I've just learned a lot from being associated with him and being part of that practice and having a lot of clients that have a lot of real estate, sort of like a natural thing, right? You attract clients who are like you. (laughs) So that's how I found it. I would honestly ask, right? So a lot of this conversation, as you might remember, that we started 
is you're like, look, let's talk about my situation and what you would do for me. So have that conversation with the advisor and say like, this is what, what do you recommend? How do I handle this? Like, is now a good time? All these questions that you're asking me are great questions, sort of interview questions for an advisor. You know, we always do analysis upfront for clients. We always say, what's your situation? This is what we would recommend. And if it makes sense to you, that's when you hire the advisor, right? You know, everybody has a portfolio and everybody thinks their portfolio is the best portfolio. The reality is, you know, investment stocks, stuff like that, it's more or less a commodity these days. There's a very limited, you know, non-public information on, let's say, the 500 largest domestic companies in the US. You're better off tracking an index in most situations, right? So advisors who just lead with the portfolio that's not your situation. What's more your situation is, is this. It's how you, you know, I always say I, I can likely save you more money, especially on the tax side, if I do estate planning correctly, than I could ever make you in the market, right? If you're, ta- you're talking about these huge valuations and huge numbers of properties, just you're talking about getting millions of dollars out of your estate and not having to pay estate taxes on it. That's huge for most people, right? That that's the advisor you need. It's not someone who's just focused on just their portfolio, for sure. You also said that uh, you were a fiduciary. Can you explain what that term is? Yeah, so a fiduciary is anyone who is legally obligated to do what's in the best interest of their clients. So in the financial world, there are two standards. There's a fiduciary standard that's administered by the SEC. So literally if you guys had a complaint about me or something like that, and you were my client, you would actually, you could file that complaint with the SEC and I would have to prove that I did what was actually in, in your best interest, which means lowest cost, most efficient, best performing, so on and so forth. Like I have a huge, you know, burden of proof for that in any investment or any, any recommendation that I make. The other standard is a suitability standard, which just means that somebody has to prove that whatever recommendation they made is suitable for you, which is a much easier standard to be held to, (laughs) but uh, does no favors for clients. Mm, Got it. Okay. So we should be looking for fiduciaries for sure. Yeah. Yes. Always. Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And you could see that in different fees and things like that, right? So... I, you know, for us, you'll never see something that's called like a cap trust mutual fund, or you won't see, you know, cap trust life insurance or anything like that. We're completely independent because there's no double dipping. Like I can't charge you for being my client and also get the revenue of the fund we created, right? Like, so you'll see stuff like that when there is the suitability standard being held. Fiduciary to me means, you know, hopefully someone who's keeping more money in their clients' pockets versus their own. Right, yeah. right. Okay. Well, cool. So, uh, yeah, so this has been really amazing. Uh, great information. Um, so, we like to uh, always close with uh, two questions. Uh, one is so for you, like, what, uh, what is your definition of rich? My definition of rich is somebody who wakes up every day and does not need to make money. Nice. So, they have accumulated enough wealth that um, they don't have to make money. And hopefully that person is also fulfilled in whatever they're doing outside of making money as well. Because I think being cash rich and emotionally poor is not the way to go either. 
Yeah, yeah we yeah. would totally agree with that. For sure, for sure, yeah. <laughs> so then uh, our second question is then now we now we know your definition of rich. So, you know, what is, you know, a, a mindset, habit or strategy that defines somebody who's rich? So I would say uh, mindset, habit, or strategy. You know, I'd say discipline. I think most people who um, get to a level of success where they don't have to worry about have to make money to survive, I think there's a level of discipline associated with that. And I think there's also gratitude. Um, most of the people that I've met, and you know, I deal with ultra, ultra high net worth people, are some of the most humblest, uh, grateful people in the world. You know, we say in all things success, it's 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. And I definitely believe that to be true. I think if you, if you're not, you know, mastering what you're thinking on a day to day basis, it's hard to get to the point where you're rich. <laughs> yes, totally. Yes. Totally agree. Yeah. So, um, for the people who want to get a hold of you, can you let them know how to contact you? Yeah, for sure. So the best way to contact me is honestly call me. I know I'm throwing my phone number out on a podcast. I don't mind or text me. And that's 347-445-2452. You can just Google my name, Veronica Karras. I'm author of a book. So I'm pretty easy to find. You can email me. You can find me on my company website. You can check out my website, which is veronicacaris.com. But feel free to reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions. All like if I can help someone, that's what I live and breathe for. So if I could be helpful to you, just please, please feel free to reach out at any time. That that's so generous. And I know yeah. you you really love to educate. So that's that's awesome. Yes, so thank sure. you again for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it and for sharing so many tips for real estate investors. For sure. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Anytime. And if there's ever a follow-up, just let me know. I'm happy to chat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.